Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And you're listening to the Just Good Business Podcast. It's a show about amplifying the voices of social enterprises, the humans behind them, and the journey they are on. Join us as we learn from Nova Scotia's social enterprises. Hearing what inspired them to take the unusual path for doing social good, creating prosperity beyond profit. Let's explore Nova Scotia's world of social entrepreneurship together. Who knows? You may be closer to running your own social enterprise than you think. Our guest today is another local Nova Scotian maverick, Bradley Day. He is the co-founder of Placemaking 4G, or P4G in short. Something to take note of is that P4G is a community interest company, or CIC. Its mission is both simple and ambitious to make the recruitment industry more inclusive and socially conscious. Bradley's own special sauce is in inspiring the workplaces by embracing the differences in cultures and lived experiences and the vulnerabilities that come by just being human at the workplace. Bradley has overseen successful launches and scale-ups of two businesses and a nonprofit. With a famous grandfather in Delmore Buddy Day, Bradley was born and raised in Halifax, and over time, he naturally emerged as a community leader, coach, and an active member of the African Nova Scotian community. In this episode, we'll be learning with you as we chat with Bradley. Now, if you thought you got full disclosure before, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm humbled and proud to call Bradley my business partner and my best friend. So Bradley is already an award-winning entrepreneur, having won the award for Small Business of the Year at the 2023 Halifax Business Awards for his work at P4G. But as if that wasn't enough, he's on the 2024 list of finalists for Business Leader of the Year. He lives in Dartmouth with his wife, his dog, and his cat. And here's what's not in his bio. He's a great singer, an incredible friend, a fire aficionado, and a nature enthusiast. All right. Let's dive right in. So uh, the list of full disclosures on this one is pretty significant. <laughs> Hopefully I covered them all in the intro. Uh, but let's just say, I think it's safe to say that uh, we know each other and this is going to be a lot of fun. So uh, Bradley Day, our guest, fellow co-founder and co-CEO of P4G, please tell us about the P4G origin story, my friend. Mm. Ooh, ooh. Um, before I do, uh, I do just want to say, um, so, so, so cool to meet you, Anuj. I've heard so much about you, um, and just honored to be on here chatting with you both. So I just wanted to say that before kind of jumping into the, the P4G origin story, which you know quite well, Matt, but, um, from my perspective, uh, it was a time in my life, I had just come back from Toronto. I was in Toronto coaching with the Toronto Argonauts, and um, I left a job in banking to do that and realized that neither banking or professional football were things that I wanted to do as a career. And in coming back, there were a lot of people in my life. For example, Nathan Beeler ran the barbershop across the street from me where I was banking, and I'd be in there all the time. There were people on my street. There were a good friend of mine, Demetrius Ferguson, had a shoe store at the time, now has a restaurant that you should check out called Palm Tree on Coppola Road. Um, shout out to Meech. But um, you know, a lot of my friends were entrepreneurs, and I was really drawn to this concept 
of building something. I felt really misaligned in my values in that space. So I knew that that wasn't it for me. And um, yeah, Matt and I started having conversations and we were both really frustrated about the state of our careers. We both had degrees. Um, you know, I'm, I'm ticking the African Nova Scotian box. I'm, I'm, I've got a degree. I've got work experience. I think I'm a pretty personable guy. I think I can, I think I'm a pretty employable person at this point in my life. And I wasn't finding anything that really aligned with, with what I wanted to do or who I was. And <laughs> one of the prospects that I had for that was quite exciting uh, was to work uh, with an organization the time um, that Lauren Sears was um, pretty high up in. And so I met with Lauren Sears to have a bit of a job interview for a job that I was both under and overqualified for. So I met with Lauren on a Friday afternoon and that late, late on a Friday afternoon meeting ended up us being there until, I don't know, it was like 9 p.m. We just hit it off. Um, the stuff that they were doing, um, who I was, who she was, uh, where the world's going. We, we went in a bunch of different directions with that conversation. You know, it was really inspiring. And at the time, Matt and I had been talking about the different things that we wanted to bring into the world, the different frustrations that we had. We started to think about who's actually responsible for opportunities, who is responsible for access to opportunities. Um, there was a report at the time, uh, the Ivany report, the Now or Never report that was talking about attraction and retention of young professionals to Atlantic Canada. But who was actually responsible for that? I knew nothing about recruiters. I had never even been recruited. Matt had because, you know, salespeople, I think they get recruited a lot more than some Joe Blow that works at the bank. Um, so he had had some experience with recruiters and he was like, well, I, I guess it's these guys over here. I guess it's these folks. And knowing nothing about the industry, we said, well, we think we can do that better. <laughs> I don't know why we thought we could do that better. Um, but when we started to look into it at the time, and I'm sure it's tripled or quadrupled, I should probably know what the stats are today. But at the time, it was a $7 billion industry in Canada. And um, from the people we had talked to, it wasn't really experiencing a lot of innovation. It wasn't really experiencing a lot of disruption. Um, and so we decided, um, with the help of some friends out West as well, um, realized strategies played a big role in, in, in being like, here's the ropes, kids. Um, do with it what you will, um, handing us some of the processes and procedures of how things go. And then we had the freedom to really be like, what do we want this to feel like? You know, with no background in recruiting, we started to come across some stats that were like, oh, why would 25% of people rather get a root canal than go through a job interview process? That doesn't feel good for people. Maybe we can make it feel better. Fast forward, and um, we really wanted to make sure that everything that we did in recruiting was equitable and that um, the processes were equitable and that we were, we were giving people opportunity to really feel seen and heard in a recruiting process. And whether they got the job or not, um, it was just as important to us, the candidate experience, as it was our client experience. And I think that's been a big part of what's gotten us to this point. And, um, 
uh, I think what still really sets us apart is pe treating people like human beings. And, you know, I think I could rattle off some statistics and stuff like that, but I don't really think that that's what you're looking for today. But, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. And now <laughs> 2024, we're going into year seven. Oh boy. Um, where did the last seven years go? It's always exciting to hear that story. And uh, one follow-up I will ask. Um, so you mentioned earlier on uh, in the answer that um, you had had conversations and started learning about social entrepreneurship and what social enterprises are. Um, so I'm curious if you could just outline how social entrepreneurship and P4G currently intersect. It's hard to jump to without giving some of the context of like the evolution of how we've gotten here. Context to, away. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when, you know, when we first started with our offerings, we were literally, uh, so the, the definition in Nova Scotia, at least the legal definition, if you are a community interest company, which we are, it would be that 60% of your profits go back into community and us, <laughs> neither of us with business degrees, we're like, okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll calculate how much money from each contract will go back to community and we'll work with every organization on how we put that money back into community realizing that that is like there are whole nonprofits just set up to decide what to do with the money that goes back to community and we were creating a whole nother organization for ourselves so that was quickly a path that we veered away from, given that it um, didn't make a whole lot of sense. And over the years, we've become a lot more refined about what it is we do with the money that goes back to community. You also have to be profitable in order for money to go back to community. And there have been years we've been great. And there have been years where we haven't had any money to go back to community. And there have been years where we've strategically invested in, in growing the business. And so in this past year, I've been really proud about how we've kind of come together with a committee, um, really engaging our entire team on what it means um, to invest in equitable access to prosperity and lay out a process for that. Um, and for the first time have like evaluation tools that we were using to evaluate um, requests for money that would come through um, and feel really good about kind of how that felt last year, um, having something that was more structured and formalized because for a long time, it was a long time. It was like, okay, so COVID just happened. Everybody's doing school from home. There's a bunch of kids in Uniac Square. They don't have computers to be doing school from home. And there's four or five kids in the household sharing one device that's their parent's cell phone or something. Let's buy a bunch of laptops and give them to these kids, which is us just making a decision about something that feels good. You know, it, it isn't really an equitable process that has been thought out and meticulous and thought through. So while it's a good thing to do, we felt that there was work to work to do to get that to a place that we felt good about. Now, um, current state and future state, I think, are very different things. Where I'd like to see is to get even more specific. Um, you know, I, I remember on a retreat we had last year, every every year on our team, we do um, a retreat. Um, to, it's, it's just our purpose and values retreat is what we call it. Um, Matt and I were very fortunate at the beginning of launching P4G. You know, we have our stated values and purpose and feel like we have that North Star in our life. And it's been 
incredibly impactful to have that. And it was something that right away we were like, everybody on our team should get the opportunity to do this self-work and to get closer to what their purpose and values are. And so every year we, we provide that opportunity to our team. And it's just been so fascinating. The people that have been here from the beginning and been at all of the retreats and just to, to see how their values have morphed and changed and evolved and how they have morphed and changed and evolved has been 100% the most rewarding part of this whole thing. And as much as like you just absolutely fall in love with the people that you work with, in some people, getting closer to their purpose was getting further from P4G. And that at one point was a hard pill to swallow. And I had this realization, if the only reason that we exist is to allow people to get closer to their purpose in life, I can die happy. Like that is a really special reason to exist in the world. Over the course of the, the Christmas break, there's an organization called Beyond ADHD um, that does uh, ADHD assessments. And I've known for years that I've had ADHD, but I've never, there's always been a lot of barriers to getting an assessment done. So I had that assessment done. I can have now a diagnosis. You know, I, I'm listening to a bunch of ADHD podcasts now, which is helping me understand how my brain works and the things that are ADHD and the things that are me. That's also purpose work. That's also values work. That's also like still continuously being curious about who am I and setting your ego aside and having the vulnerability to step into these things is, um, is, is just, it's, it's ongoing. That being said, if there was a way that we could use um, the funds that go back into community um, to develop, whether it is a retreat, whether it is a program, whether it is something to allow people that don't really have the privilege of doing that self-work of what is my purpose, what are my values, access to that process. I think future state, ideally, all of the money that we have that goes back into community is really doing that deep reflective foundational work with people. And that's where I'd like to be. Beautiful. Uh, Bradley, as we say, if passion and love and purpose uh, can create prosperity beyond mm. profit, that's what we are all about. In my experience, it's quite unusual to use words like love and passion uh, in a corporate world, it, you know, in the recruitment. You know, there's a whole science of human resource management and development and recruitment and how do you fit team and things like that. But you, you have brought and seem to have brought a completely different entry point into this field and found that niche of which, which was very obvious to you of saying this is the gap that's become too technical, too mechanical, and there has to be a humanity in this whole process. That's what I'm hearing from you. So what, what does your interaction with your client look like uh, when you bring love and passion and social change into the conversation. Mm, yeah. So, um, and you, you mentioned kind of some of the things that we talk about in terms of love and how do we bring our live into our values and how does that show up in the organization? And, and that too has evolved. I think we were very fortunate to have uh, Imaginal Ventures was an organization we worked with. Um, they have something called the Purpose Led Business School at the time. And we went through that and there's this, uh, this curve of, of 
the levels of growth within business. And when you start out, you just have the founders. That's it. That's all you have. Um, so starting from that place of knowing yourself is so, so important. Um, and starting from that place of purpose and weaving your personal purpose into what the business is, is incredibly important. So Matt and I, if you were to kind of look at the collection of both of our values, that's kind of what the values of P4G were when we started. Now, when you hit the teens in the amount of staff that you have, you have to reflect on, is this still accurate? Does this still represent who we are and what we're about and what our values are? Because we need to incorporate all of these perspectives in it. And so now I would say that our values more accurately reflect the entire team and what the business needs right now. And we reflect on that on an annual basis. And we're constantly reflecting on that and engaging our team in that process. Now, how it lands with our clients, we have some feedback around this and I'll, I can, you know, think from the perspective of the conversations I've had with clients, but also candidates and the people that we're really in close relationship with throughout that process, um, both from the educational offerings that we have and from the recruiting offerings that we have. You, you said the word human a few times and it's um it's almost jarring the response that people have when you treat them like a human being unfortunately we live in a world that is still dominated by a system that is designed to oppress in that system of capitalism it can be really challenging to exist and so it treats people as engines instead of, you know, quite literally human resources, like these are our resources to power this engine um, instead of treating them like humans. So when you start to do that, people are like, whoa, this, this, this is maybe uncomfortable, but I like it. Don't stop. <laughs> like, um, so it, it's, it is, uh, it can be jarring for people. And I think, you know, early on, there were people mostly in the social sector that resonated with it. They understood it right away. As soon as we brought that energy, they fed off of it. It was like, oh, I want more of this. This is different. I like it. Let's talk about how we can work together. We brought this to the corporate spaces and they were like, okay, cool. Okay. Um, yeah, you're going to change the world someday, but it won't be here. Um, where's the proof? I don't, you can't prove that you're going to be successful recruiting me somebody. So no, thank you. Um, now that's evolved over the years. And once we had proof, a lot more of the corporate folks start knocking back on the door. Like, uh, I heard that 80% of the people that you've placed into roles are from, you know, equity deserving and equity deprived communities. Um, can we talk about, you know, what you might um, do with us? Um, so, you know, that's been an interesting um, evolution. And I think that um, when it comes to equity work, not just recruiting, but also educationally, we want it to feel really accessible. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks have a hard time with fear. Um, we live in a very digital age where cancer culture is real and everybody is very careful about the words that come out of their mouth and they're very on edge about being canceled. And a lot of 
a lot of conversations are driven by that. And people are so afraid that they, they've forgotten how to be in dialogue. And people on both ends of things need to be able to put their egos aside and have healthy friction. And so we really want to make these conversations, these interactions accessible to people where they don't feel judged, they don't feel shame, they don't feel guilt. They just feel like they're growing. And that's that's always been a part of what we've done. And it's really been amplified in the last couple of years where there's been a shift in wanting to bring more education to organizations, realizing that there are a lot of unsafe spaces in workplaces that exist uh, in Nova Scotia and across Canada and across the world. Uh, give me an example, uh, a real example of a, a corporate partner or a nonprofit partner you work with and how your recruitment process has shifted their way of working or their, their achievement of their purpose, corporate or nonprofit. Uh, give us a real example uh, that you think of. <laughs> I'm going to go to like a OG client. I'm going to go to like one of our main trusted partners for a lot of things um, that we actually ended up building out uh, an educational, you know, course with um, called the Foundations of Belonging. So I think they get it now. <laughs> um, Nova Scotia Career Development Association they're the certification and training body for people that are career practitioners in Nova Scotia. So if you think about the Nova Scotia works agencies, um, any, any career practitioners that work for them, they would be licensed through NSCDA. Um, and so they, they are responsible for a lot of that learning journey. And we were approached by Kathy McKee. Um, actually we just, we were pulled out of an office and said, Hey, present to this room full of people that are passing through this building. And so we were like, oh, okay, uh, we're P4G and this is what we do. And then Kathy after was like, I have a lot of business for you. And when she said that, she meant it. <laughs> I don't think that she imagined six years later, we'd be where we are. But um, I mean, we maybe recruited uh, a dozen folks into that place. And, and at the time they were only like six staff. Um, so. We've done a lot of work with them over the years, and um, you've seen it reflected in the conferences that they host. What, what really becomes beautiful to me is when you see the service offerings that somebody puts out into the world, and then their staff evolves over time, and the people that they bring in, they bring in through an equitable process, and the organization is curious about becoming more knowledgeable around equity work and around diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. And then you see that really beautiful space exist in that organization. And then the conferences that they host, the, the things that they do, it's reflected in that and the community feels it. And that's when it starts to be really beautiful, um, made a really special connection at their conference last year, which was hosted at Member2. Um, they do regional conferences now. And one of them that we spoke at was in Member2 First Nation. Um, and Jeff Ward was the keynote. He's He runs the cultural center there at Member2. Um, and he's become a really good you know, mentor, brother, friend. Um, we hosted a retreat together. Uh, and so you know, it's they're creating spaces for those types of connections to happen. Um, and that's a client that we've worked with. 
Mm, I'm just going to sit in the beauty of uh, NSCDA Jeff Ward here for a second. Well, it sounds like there's lots of successes to speak to, Bradley, uh, but mm. I'm curious to pick your brain about the opposite. Off the top of your head, can you think of any challenges that you've had to overcome as a business leader and also as uh, a P4G, specifically as a CIC? Um, any challenges that you feel um, that the organization has had to overcome? Um, and if so, what were the outcomes? Mm. Overcome. I think that's a, the, a word that I'm getting hung up on too, because do you really, I think, you know, when you, when you make, when you make your life a bit more around a practice, you may, you may get better at, but do you really ever overcome certain things is, is, um, is almost naive in some ways to be like, yeah, we overcame that. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like no, nah, I'm still, I'm still dealing with the repercussions of that one. But at the early stages of something, when you've got all of the energy in the world uh, and literally to for you to survive, this thing needs to survive. Um, it feels like you have bountiful energy to put into something. Um, now, how sustainable that energy becomes, uh, it's, it's not going to last forever. Um, so to set yourself up to be sustainable with the proper systems, structures, communications, people, is so, so critical. Um, when we were doing everything literally by hand and email and, and um, you know, kind of flying by the seat of our pants, it was fun, but definitely not sustainable. And when you start to add more people to that mix, how can somebody replicate how you do something if you haven't standardized your process in some way? So making sure you can standardize something so that somebody else can pick it up without losing its core essence is a challenge. Um, so you don't want to lose that core essence of the value of what you do. But you need to make sure that it's that you're able to repeat it, that it's replicable. So, you know, as as we've grown, the, the, the everything's just become a lot more complex. And uh, I use complex as the word instead of complicated because things don't need to be complicated, uh, but they they do you know, have a level of complexity. Uh, there's a lot going on. You've got two people with ADHD running an organization for many years. And now because there is so much more complexity, we need more people in positions with autonomy and decision-making that love complexity and that love to dig into details. And so getting complex with the numbers and really digging into those things and realizing oh, wait, the way you're doing it, that's not sustainable. That's actually not financially sustainable. Um, so there have been hard, challenging conversations in that. Um, but you come out on the other end with so much clarity. I mean, those are a couple of things. I guess the last thing I do want to say um, is uh, we did a, a little bit of a masterclass uh, on something called radical candor and uh, sort of the opposite end of radical candor can have, and the first time I heard this, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I feel called out. Um, but the first time I heard this, ruinous empathy, mm, yeah, let that, let that sink in. Yeah, digest that for a second. Ruinous empathy, when I heard that, I was like, okay, yeah. That's what I'm doing. Um, and when people don't get feedback, get criticism, get direction, um, 
you will let them do things that will cause resentment. And I feel like I was not great at having those hard conversations. And it's taken a lot of work um, to get to a place where my whole nervous system doesn't shut down because I'm about to have a hard conversation. So, you know, I think those are really for me what I would say personally and, and how those maybe have shown up organizationally, some of the major challenges that have um, come up. Bradley, you bring the whole person into the conversation and that's very clear. It can be said fairly accurately that a number of conversations we had on this podcast, each social entrepreneur uh, brings a certain degree of authenticity, vulnerability into the work, which is which is uh, not only amazing and refreshing, but also probably critical piece of developing any social enterprise. Um, I just wanted to say and acknowledge that. For thank you for mm-hmm. for being bringing your whole person into this conversation. As you imagine uh, the world in the next five years or P4G world in the next five years. How do you envision the changes happening, uh, the world that you wanted to change seven years back? How is that moving forward? Uh, How do you bring more humanity into human resources field of work in recruitment, in, in your interaction? Uh, acceptance of these words that you are using. How do you see this going forward at the ecosystem level? That's a great question. In a time where, you know, it feels like one of those mornings and you wake up and there's like the whole harbor is full of fog and it's like, can I even see Halifax? So thinking about trying to see five years from now is like, uh, there's a lot of fog that (laughs) needs to clear out of the way. So we've never really told the story of like what we do to the world. Um, everything has come to us. Uh, it's, we haven't really marketed um, what we do. And when you do that, like people are attracted to these charismatic people that like can, can make people feel seen and heard. And so they're like, they'll bring you things that they're like, oh, we want you to be involved in this. We want you to be involved in this. And instead of saying, no, that's not what we do, we're like, yeah, sure. That sounds fun. That sounds great. Uh, but what you end up doing is is redeveloping things all the time or building brand new things all the time, um, which is great if you have endless resources, uh, but you end up spending a lot more energy on that. And so right now, the focus is getting really crystal clear about this is what we do. This is the impact we want to see. And we're going to tell this story in a major way so that we can draw in the type of work that makes sense for us to be doing um, and that we do best. So in Nova Scotia, what do I want to see? I want to see if government is not going to invest in the recommendations and suggestions that nonprofits, people that do community work, people like us bring to them all of the time, here's what we need to do to have thriving communities in this province. If they're not gonna action that and take take action on that, I want to start to build the scaffolding for what that community looks like and start to do the work to get closer 
to if you build it, they will come kind of strategy. And maybe we're, we're bringing people together that are thinking about these things, that are thinking about the world they want to live in. How can I design that world that I want to live in? Um, but not just from a place of coming and thinking about it, an actual physical space where people are, there's, it's sustainable. You live off the land. There, there are those things already being tested and tried and true. Um, and then I guarantee you, um, it will catch the attention of people in power. It will catch the attention of government and they'll turn to it and be like, oh, wow, there's the proof. Let's measure the quality of life over there and see what's happening. So I think that when we think about the social enterprise part of P4G, I think that there is, is a major role in the thought leadership space of what tomorrow is and how we can design that. And it's going to look different in different communities. I think in, in Nova Scotia, we have our own biosphere here. It is a very different ecosystem, climate, um, resources than anywhere else. And so what we're designing as the future of Nova Scotia is going to look unique. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of these kinds of movements all over the world. Uh, and I think that it's something that um, gives me hope from the P4G perspective, um, from the education, recruiting and tech side of things. Um, I think there's a lot of what we've done in terms of what we've built that is replicable in other places. doesn't have to be us leading it, but I think there is a way for us to create an access point to it, whether that's a technical solution or whether that's another solution. Um, you know, Matt and I are, are constantly having conversations about how can we expand this impact beyond this organization um, and also make it make sense from a just good business perspective. As you said, uh, how Nova Scotia is changing uh, uh, in a massive way in some ways. And one of the, the reasons and one of the factors that is changing Nova Scotia is newcomers and new immigrants who are uh, not necessarily the experience that you bring or I bring as a newcomer or uh, you know, the First Nations uh, people. So there's a whole question of, of inclusivity and equity that is changing right in front of our eyes uh, in so many different ways. Women, women of color, uh, all kinds of people who are coming as refugees from war zones. Do you have thoughts of, of what does that inclusivity and recruitment and job market looks like from that changing massive change in the environment, including Halifax. It's hard to walk and drive on Halifax roads without seeing so many color, colorful faces uh, on the pavement, right? So how do you square that circle in your world? Yeah, and having grown up here, it wasn't always like that. There is a major shift in, in demographics. And when you look at the age of our population, we actually, we very much need it. We've done some some educational work on this and some of the fastest growing places that people are coming from. When you look at uh, India, um, Nigeria, um, China, so there these are Philippines, some of the yeah, you know, yeah, Philippines are the fastest growing populations here in, in Nova Scotia, and and it's exciting for me. 
um, we've we've never been able to you know have the level of diversity that it has existed and and the way you very um, beautifully laid it out too from from a multiplicity of of angles and so how does that show up in the workplace I think the 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 biggest thing that is going to need to happen is how people you know are welcomed into these places and I said that I want to us to make sure that this work is accessible to people. I want I want to make sure that people feel like they can step into these conversations and not from a place of fear. It's, <laughs> I, I've talked about ego a lot. I've talked about belonging a lot, but it really just requires humility um, and curiosity. And so, you know, I, I think when we harp too too much on the the diversity equity principles and getting too scientific about it, we just need people to be better. Um, and learning how to be a little bit more humble is not easy. Human beings don't really love change a whole lot. So, you know, <laughs> if there's one thing we've learned about the past five years, things are going to change and they're going to change faster than we had anticipated. At its core, just we're, we're trying to be better human beings. We're trying to be um, in a place where we can lean into humility and curiosity of one another. Um, and things have been so polarizing um, that we, we've forgotten how to have courageous conversations with each other. We've forgotten how to be curious. And I think it, it takes both sides to lean into these levels of, of uh, humility. And, um, you know, there's a definition of love that I've heard that I really um, that I really resonate with, you know, I, I think we all need to love each other. And if that's true, well, let's define what it means to, to, to love each other. And I think love really is the belief that we all belong together. Um, and we all need to love even our enemies. And I mean that from the perspective of not wanting to convert your enemies to your friends. It's not necessary because then you just have more friends. But what about the people that really have very opposite opinions to you, have very opposite belief systems, everything, and you're, you're never going to be on the same page about stuff. Can you love them? Because we all belong together. We're here. We're on planet Earth. We're in this workplace. We belong together. So if you can show up with that, you know, core understanding, that is love. When we say, um, if we can enter into the workplace with more love in our hearts, it's the understanding that we all belong together. Um, and that means that I, instead of you saying, well, this is how I live my life, or this is something I believe in, or you should do it this way. When we hear that, and it's the opposite of how we live or what we believe, and we have this visceral response that wants to argue with that, instead of arguing with it, maybe be curious about it. Tell me more about that. Like really try to understand the other side. If we have, if we know that love means that we all belong together, then we're going to be a lot more curious about how we can be together. So I've always really loved that idea of love and it turns it into more of a practice for me. Maybe it's because my purpose, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very biased with this because my purpose is to unite communities through building trust. So you tell me that, you know, love means um, we belong together. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful.
what that brings to mind here uh, for for me, uh, Mr. Day, is a Walt Whitman quote by way of Ted Lasso, which is "Be curious, not judgmental." Not judgmental. Um, I, uh, I I humbly, uh, you know, humility was a word that was said a lot in this conversation today. So, um, what I'll say to you, my friend, is thank you so much. Thank you for listening, everybody. Can't wait to keep the conversation going. Thank you, Mr. Day. Thank you, Anuj. We'll catch you on the flip side. Peace and love. Thank you. Beautiful. We heard from Bradley how P4G is completely reimagining how we look at recruitment in our businesses and nonprofits. Not only making the process of hiring more respectful and human, but also testing the hypothesis that socially conscious people make great employees. What P4G is doing is a game changer, where the old adage of keeping the personal and professional lives separate has been turned on its head. Let's continue to watch their path-defining journey, one more disruptive story in our social enterprise ecosystem of Nova Scotia. It's impossible to separate the entrepreneur from the human, and it's always great to sit with the human that is Bradley in all his authenticity. He mentioned his new diagnosis of ADHD, and I just saw recently that individuals with ADHD are 300% more likely to become entrepreneurs. If you're curious about the diagnosis process or any other questions, you can reach out to a few great local Atlantic Canadian companies that offer some great support beyond ADHD, which offers diagnosis, and Keith Geldhorn at Advocacy, who provides coaching. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to tune in for more. I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And this has been Just Good Business Podcast. Just Good Business Podcast.